Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to Dig Deep. Did everyone have a nice Thanksgiving break? Oh, good. I'm so glad. It's so nice to be back together, and we are about to take a little bit of a shift, of a turn, as we're getting ready to close out our semester, if you can believe it, as we approach Christmas here. And I hope that this series has been a blessing to you so far. I know that it has had a big impact on my life. And just by way of review, as we have looked at Romans 12, the Apostle Paul has given us a picture of what a life can look like when it is transformed by Christ. And so we started the semester off by talking about how God, at a very core level, wants to transform the way that we think. He wants to renew our minds. He wants to shift our entire worldview. And he wants to do that in part so that we can see clearly to discern his will for our lives. And we talked about how his will includes the big destinations that he wants to take us to, but it also includes the daily decisions that he wants to lead us into every single day. And then the Apostle Paul started to shift his focus to talk a lot about what those everyday decisions will look like in our lives. And so he talked about our pride and our independence and how that needs to shift so that we understand that we need each other, that we're one body. We talked about how a transformed life is one where we start to identify and use our spiritual gifts to serve one another in love. He talked about how we will begin to honor one another above ourselves, even though it's so counterintuitive. And then he talked about how we will experience joy in the hope that he gives us, how he will sustain us in times of suffering with his faithfulness and love. And then we talked just a couple weeks ago about how the lives that have been transformed by Christ will be marked by generosity and empathy and hospitality and humility. And all of that stems from what we talked about the very first week when Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's, what? Mercy. In view of his mercy. All of that transformation in our lives stems from the mercy that God extended to us through Christ. And that mercy is going to be really, really important for us to focus on as we transition into what Paul has to say in these closing verses of Romans chapter 12. As we begin to wrap up this semester and cover these final verses, we are going to see that some of the most distinct marks of transformation in our lives will show up in the way that we relate to those who have wronged us. Paul has already hit on this once when he told us to bless those who persecute us in verse 14, but he's about to circle back to that same concept and go into much greater detail about what it looks like and how it's possible in our lives. So let's read verses 17 and on. Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so here's how we're going to handle these verses. This week and next week, we are going to look at how God wants us to move toward healing in the fractured relationships in our lives. And so next week, we're going to talk about how to forgive, 
how to forgive those who have hurt us. And I know that a lot of us in this room have someone in our lives that needs our forgiveness. But today, we are going to take a step back and look at the other side of the relationship, our side of the relationship, and ask ourselves the question, who has something against me? Who has something against me? Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, when he said, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I think this is truly amazing because it reveals that our human relationships are so important to God that he says... Set aside your worship of me for a time so that you can go and be reconciled to each other first. And so if you realize that someone has something against you, something, anything, Jesus says, go, go and be reconciled to that person. So today we are going to focus on verses 17 and 18, and we're going to look at it one sentence at a time because there is a lot in these two verses. First, Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So Paul looks at our relationships and points us to something that we already know to be true about ourselves. Whenever there's a hurt, there's always a sense that that person owes us something. That's why we say things like, you owe me an apology. It's why we defend our actions by saying things like, well, she deserved it or he had it coming. With four kids at home, It is a weekly, if not daily, occurrence that I will hear someone wail in pain from another room, and when I go into that room and try to uncover the source of this strife and crying between my children, one of my children will inevitably say something like, I'm crying because he kicked me. And so I will look at the other child, and that child will say, because she pinched me. And then I will look back to the first child, and she will say, because he pulled my hair. And then he will say, because she destroyed my Lego creation. And then she will say, because he wouldn't let me play with his Lego creation. It will go on and on and on. And what's sad is this isn't just true of kids. We all do that exact same thing. Now, we've moved past destroying each other's Lego creations and pulling hair, hopefully. But we do this. We keep close records of our relational accounts, and we're like lawyers building our case against the other person. We keep close records of the wrongs that they've done to us. One of the ways that I know that I'm doing this in a relationship, and maybe I'm the only one who does this, but I start to have imaginary conversations with that person, Okay, good, I'm not the only person who does this. And one of my favorite things about my imaginary conversations with this person who has wronged me is there's always an audience ready to watch and they're always on my side. And so as I start tearing into the other person and telling them all the things that they've done wrong, the audience just stands up and applauds and says, get them, Jess, get them, get them. And then the best part of the imaginary conversations is after I have ripped this person apart, they come before me and kneel down and say, you are absolutely right, Jess, I um, beg you for your forgiveness, and then I bestow that forgiveness lovingly upon them. Now, what's interesting is there are times in my life where these imaginary conversations have 
become real conversations where I've had an opportunity to say some of the things that I've been thinking about saying for a long time. And you know what's really disappointing? Not once has the other person knelt down before me and begged for my forgiveness and said, Jess, and there's never been an audience around standing up, giving me a standing ovation for all the ways that I've torn into that person. See, Paul knew that our relationships would do this, that they would spiral because we repay evil for evil. If someone does wrong to us, we feel it's only fair for us to punish them in some way. The problem is that person usually responds by punishing us in some way, and the cycle goes on and on and on. And Paul is saying someone has to stop that cycle. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Then he goes on and says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And these are really difficult verses to swallow. So I looked up that word everyone. It's translated everyone. I I looked it up in the original Greek, and you know what it actually means? Everyone. It means everyone. And I don't like that. My response to Paul is, well, surely not everyone everyone. Is there a person in your life right now who you are not at peace with? Paul says, if it is possible, and I appreciate that he says if it is possible. He acknowledges that we live in a broken world and that it may not be possible, and many of you are already thinking, yeah, that's my situation. It's one of those not possible ones. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love the way pastor and author Andy Stanley illustrates this. He uses the picture of a pie chart. And when someone comes to him and they are in a conflict with another person, he encourages them to get out a piece of paper and draw a circle and create a pie chart. And he said, what I want you to do is draw whatever percentage of this conflict or this broken relationship is the other person's fault. And then I want you to fill in the rest, the other wedge, with the portion that is your fault. And in every relationship, in every situation, it's going to be different. And I do think there are some times where the situation is 100% the other person's fault, but I think those situations are really, really rare. In the situation where a child is a victim of abuse at the hands of an adult, that's 100% that adult's fault and 0% the child's. But in most of our relationships, some percentage is that person's wrongdoing and some percentage of it is ours. And so when my kids are fighting, it's usually pretty close to 50-50. But in your life, it may be 60-40, it may be 70-30, it may be 90-10, I don't know. But it's a good exercise for us to ask the question, what is my portion of this conflict? Because Paul is saying, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We aren't going to be able to control what that person does with their 10%, 50%, 90% of this issue. But as far as it depends on us, what will we do with our portion of the pie? And this is why the, the second half of verse 17 is so important but so difficult. When Paul says, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And that can only begin when we are willing to take an honest look at our wedge, our piece of the pie, own it, and then apologize for it. 
in our first year of marriage, we were still getting the hang of being a couple and being married, and our communication was finding some new rhythms, and we were in the middle of a fight one day, and we finally ended it, and Ben apologized for some things, and then I apologized for some things, and I thought, okay, good. And then there was a long pause, and then Ben looked at me, and he said, you know, you're not very good at apologizing. And I was shocked, but I humbly said to him, tell me more, dear husband of mine. Please, I need your feedback in my life. Help me overcome the error of my ways. No, that's not quite what happened. I said something probably like, excuse me? And then the bell rang for round two of our argument. But it took me some time, but I realized that he was right. Going into our marriage, I was not very good at apologizing. And my family growing up probably already knew that, but it took marriage to really unearth that in my life. I was not good at apologizing. And so it really was over the next couple years that Ben and I had a lot of conversations about what makes for a good apology. And then we developed a strategy that works for us. And I wanna share it with you. I just wanna get really practical and share it with you this morning because it has been so transformational in our lives as we have been in situations where I want to draw a pie chart and I know what portion I think is my husband's fault and what portion is mine, if I'm going to acknowledge it, own it, and then apologize for it, I need to know how to apologize well. So we're going to get really practical. So this is an acronym so that it's easy to remember, and the acronym is SWAT. And we've changed this acronym a few times over the years, but its current form is SWAT. And I like this because when things get really messy... You send in the SWAT team, right? You need some special weapons and tactics to make this thing diffuse a little bit. And so SWAT. The first letter is S, specific. A good apology is specific. And so you don't say something like, I'm sorry, or something really vague, like, sorry I screwed up, or sorry I hurt your feelings. We have to acknowledge what exactly did we do wrong, and then apologize for it. And you may have felt justified in what you did, but if you crossed a line relationally, you used a mocking tone or you lashed out in anger, you gossiped about that person, you lied, or you stormed off and made a decision that you regret, be specific, I'm sorry, I blank. And don't feel like you have to sum up everything you've done wrong in one sentence. I promise you the other person will not have a problem with you going to them again and again with more specific things as you realize, I'm also sorry for this. And I realize I really shouldn't have said that. And I'm sorry I did this. Be specific. And then the W is without excuse. And this was the hardest one for me. Because I didn't think I was giving excuses In my apologies, I like to think of it as providing context. I was just trying to provide context so that Ben could understand where I was coming from so that he could know me better, so it could be even more unified. Really, I was just making excuses. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, never ruin an apology with an excuse. And he is right. Excuses ruin apologies. And this is so, so difficult for me. I've had to practice this element of apologizing more than any of the other elements. And I've had to bite my tongue. I've had to stop mid-sentence at times because I just want to provide some context. And I see this most when I have to apologize to my children because I think that's the place where I feel like I really want them to know that 
I feel bad about what I did. And, and I want them to have that context so that they understand it's not totally their fault. So I want to say something like, I'm sorry, mommy yelled at you, but it's been a really hard day and I didn't get enough sleep last night. I want them to understand that I love them and there's other factors involved. But the reality is excuses ruin apologies. When I say to my kids, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I love you. And I'm going to try to communicate with you in a way that's more patient and loving. Will you forgive me? That's an apology without excuse. We all have our excuses for the bad decisions we make. Leave them out of your apologies. And then the A is ask for forgiveness. And this may seem obvious, but it really is, I think, lost on our culture a little bit. We are in the habit of saying, if we do say we're sorry to each other, we brush it off and say things like, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. And that really robs us of the relational richness that I think a good apology and the extension of forgiveness can give to our relationships. And people won't necessarily do this naturally, so you have to ask them for it. And a beautiful thing about this is it truly puts you at the mercy of the other person, where after you've said, I'm so sorry I did this and that I said that, you don't have any excuses, and you say, will you forgive me? We force our kids to do this when they apologize to each other. They have to then forgive each other and receive that forgiveness because that's where healing begins to take place. And then healing, I think, is continued and really solidified in the last section, which is truth. So whatever damage you did with your mistake, you need to take time to present the truth about how you really feel about this person. And in many ways, I think this is the most important step. And Ben is really good at this, and this is one of the many things that he's taught me in apologizing. If you've done something wrong, it's important for us to step back and, like Paul says, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So walk around to the other side and ask, how would I feel if that person said that to me or did that to me, the exact things that you're apologizing for, how would it make you feel? And then take the opportunity to speak the opposite into the person's life. So whatever they've done wrong, acknowledge what you've done to hurt them and then counteract it with a truth statement. The most common result of this in my marriage has led me to see that my actions or my words toward my husband have been perceived as disrespectful. And this has been hard for me to understand because did I think I was being disrespectful? No. Did he feel disrespected? Yes. And so I need to tell him and show him that I do respect him. And so here's a little tip when it comes to telling the truth. Don't reiterate the thing that you did, and point out how you think it made them feel. And so an example of this, and that's sort of like poking at an open wound. An example would be if you spoke to your spouse in a mocking tone. I'm sure none of us have ever done that in an argument. Take that long walk to the other side and say, how would I feel if my spouse spoke to me in a mocking tone? And then realize I would feel so disrespected and offended. And then... Try to counteract it with truth, but don't say, you know, honey, I'm sorry I mocked you. I'm sure that made you feel so stupid. It probably made you feel like I think you're an absolute moron. Don't say that. That may be how it made him feel, 
but don't poke at that wound. Just understand that that may be how it made your spouse feel and say, I'm so sorry I spoke to you in a mocking tone. That was totally out of bounds. I love you and I'm so grateful for you. Would you forgive me? Speak words of healing and words of truth into that relationship. And I think it's that final step that takes an apology from being just a, a white flag of surrender, like I don't want this to continue, I want the cycle of evil for evil to stop. It can take it to a place of actual strengthening of the relationship. It provides you with a stage, an opportunity to speak words of life and healing into that relationship, maybe making the relationship even stronger than it was before you hurt each other. Don't miss that opportunity. Take that opportunity to tell that person the things that you are grateful for in them, the ways that they've had a positive influence on your life, the things that you can't imagine living without in that relationship. And so that's it, SWAT. And I have to tell you, that in our 13 years of marriage, the first couple years were pretty bumpy when it came to our arguments because we would repay each other evil for evil back and forth and back and forth to the point where we wouldn't know how the argument began. I mean, how many of us have been there? Maybe you and the person that you're in conflict with, you'd both point to different things and say, well, that's when it started. No, that's not when it started. That's when it started. No, well, now that you mention that, technically that's when it started. And we could go back and back and back and acknowledge all of the things that we've done in each other's lives to hurt each other. But at some point, we have to stop and say, I will not repay evil for evil. Instead, I'm going to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And most of the time, that looks like looking at our wedge of the pie, owning it, and then apologizing for it, and apologizing well. While Ben and I are um, pretty good at that this, these days, uh, my kids are still learning this whole do not repay anyone evil for evil. And that's why I frequently hear things like, but she did and he did, and it's just nonstop. And one particular evening when I came into the bathroom as they were doing the bedtime routine, I heard the same old thing. I heard she kicked me, but she flicked her toothpaste spit in my face. And it just went on and on and on. It just was an endless cycle. And one day, I got so fed up with this and the bedtime routine that I just announced very loudly to my children, tell you what, why don't you guys just punch each other as hard as you can, as many times as you can? And their eyes grew wide with horror, and eventually they looked at each other, and then they started smiling, and then they started laughing, and I don't know why they were laughing. I mean, I think this is like Motherhood Hall of Fame stuff right here, you know? And then eventually they started laughing, looking at me. I started laughing, and they knew that I was full of it. They knew that I wasn't serious. Why? Because they know that I love them. And so I did what any good mom does, if not at first, then eventually. I made them apologize to each other. I made them forgive each other. And I want my kids to do that. I want them to be reconciled because I love them. I love them. I want them to enjoy peaceful relationships and harmony. I don't know what relationship has been on your mind this morning, and I know that you have a long list of, but look, you don't understand what she said to me or what he did. I know I don't. But your Heavenly Father does. He knows all of it. And he calls you to be reconciled to that person because he loves you. 
He loves you. He loves us. He wants us to enjoy the joy and peace that is possible when we refuse to repay each other evil for evil. We are careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, on us, we live at peace with everyone, everyone. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we move into our group time. I want to give you a few minutes to jot down some notes, some ideas in reflection of our time together this morning. Your group leaders are going to pass out a handout to you. And I want you to know this exercise may feel a little clunky, and that's okay. It's okay if it feels a little bit clunky. You'll notice when you receive your handout that it has a circle on it, and you can guess what that is for. I want you to, if there is a relationship in your life where you are not experiencing peace right now, I want you to draw the pie chart. I want you to be as honest as you can and draw the percentages. What percentage is the other person's fault, and what percentage is your fault? And then next to the pie chart, you can start to fill in some specifics if you want. It can be specific things that that person did that have hurt you, and then write down some specifics of things you've done that has contributed to that conflict. And then you'll see below that the acronym for SWAT. And I want you to write out an apology to that person. And so jot down a couple notes of those specific things that maybe you need to apologize for. Then under the without excuse part, I want you to write down your excuses, because you have them. Be honest about them, write them down, and then cross them out one by one. And make that commitment to not bring those up in your apology. And then under the ask for forgiveness part, this is the easiest one. I just want you to write that person's name so-and-so. Will you please forgive me? It's easy. It's easy to write down that sentence. It'll be harder to say it to that person. And then spend some time thinking about the truth. What are the things about that person that you're grateful for? What are the ways that your life has been positively influenced by that person? And I promise you that there is no relationship in your life, there's no conflict where there is not something that you could write there, some way that that person has benefited your life. Write it down. And then take a couple minutes to look back over your sheet and ask God to give you the courage to take the next step, whether that's going home later today and apologizing to your spouse about something, or maybe it's something bigger, an older, more lingering pain or conflict in your life that you need to work through. Spend some time asking God what steps he wants you to take moving forward, and then we'll move into our small group time to discuss together. Will you pray with me before we do that? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this picture in Romans 12 of what a transformed life looks like. We know that you are good and that your ways are good and that you love us, but this is some hard stuff, and next week is going to be some hard stuff. So we need you, God. Please help us to return again and again and again to your mercy. We know that it's only by the power of your mercy in our lives that we will have the power to apologize to someone when we've made a mistake and to forgive them when they've wronged us. So help us to do that this morning, to return to your mercy in our lives. 
We're grateful for this time to be together and for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.